Welcome to the Private School Leader Podcast, where private school leaders learn how to thrive and not just survive as they serve and lead their schools. I strongly believe that it is possible to have a long and happy and fulfilling career as a private school leader. And my passion is to help you figure out exactly how to do just that, right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Menkes. So I want to start today's episode by asking you a question. Do you believe that the earth is flat? And I'll ask it again. Do you believe the earth is flat? And I can hear what you're saying. You're like, Mark, I'm a college graduate. I'm an educator. I have common sense. No, of course I don't believe that the earth is flat. And if you're anything like me, I just figured that, you know, we know that there are some people that are flat earthers or the flat earth society. And I figured this is probably a few thousand misinformed people in the world and just not really sure what they are thinking. But much to my surprise, um, I looked at this a little bit and I'll tell you why in a moment. But I looked at this a little bit and as of July 2021, there were 122 YouTube channels dedicated to flat earth conversations with over 4 million subscribers and over 744 million views of those videos. And some studies show that as many as 11% of Americans believe that the earth is flat. And you're like, okay, well, how is that possible? That many people, 11% of Americans, 4 million subscribers, to YouTube channels about Flat Earth, 744 million views. That's all. That's almost a billion views. Well, <laughs> there's been actually a lot of research done on how do so many people believe that the Earth is flat in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary. And actually, a major contributing factor, according to research... And I'll link one of the articles in the show notes. But according to research, one of the major contributing factors is that flat earthers are in an echo chamber with each other. And an echo chamber, the definition is the intellectual environment that people create to pad themselves from disagreement and to believe that their opinions are shared and correct. Okay, so that's just weird. And this group of people, you know, they connect online, they watch YouTube videos, and they have their forums and all of these kinds of things. And, you know, flat earth, you know, what does that possibly have to do with me as a private school leader? Well, actually, it has a, t a lot to do with us because a lot of private school leaders, we have our own echo chambers, and that can be really, really bad for our schools. And so on today's episode of the Private School Leader Podcast, we are going to discuss the 11 ways that you can get out of your echo chamber. But before we get into today's topic, I've created a free resource for you called The Six Things That Every Private School Teacher Wants From Their Leader. This guide is a six-page PDF that can be a game changer for you. And I guarantee you that if you do these six things, the teachers at your school will be happy to follow you and you can 
pick up your free guide by going to theprivateschoolleader.com slash guide. And I wanted to ask for a favor. Wherever you listen to this podcast, if you've gotten value from any episodes, that you would leave a review and rate the podcast. And that actually helps the algorithm push the content out as suggested content to private school leaders all over the world and would just love to spread the word with these tactics and these strategies and hopefully motivation and encouragement as well. So thank you for writing a review and rating the podcast wherever you listen to it. So we're talking about an echo chamber. And in an educause.edu blog post, um, the again, the definition is an, into, an echo chamber is the intellectual environment that people create to pad themselves from disagreement and to believe that their opinions are shared and correct. And I want to make sure that we understand that we in our private schools might be in an echo chamber and we might not realize it. Maybe we didn't pad this echo chamber and surround ourselves with people that are like-minded and that agree with everything that we say. Maybe we didn't do that on purpose. Maybe there are other things at play here that have caused this to happen. But echo chambers have also been characterized as information-limiting environments. I want you to think about that for a minute. If, if your leadership team, if you, your board, or if you have a really small leadership team, maybe it's just you as the head of school and a couple of office staff, um, and you um, just, maybe it's a couple of lead teachers, but whoever is in that inner circle in our professional life at school, are we in an information limiting environment? And another thing that I read was this, that an echo chamber can constrain the information sources that individuals choose to consume. And so that goes back to the flat earth uh, believers and, you know, the constraint on the information sources. Think about that. Um, the, you know, where are they getting their information from? Well, from each other. And, and that's insulating them and that's reinforcing their beliefs. And they're not really getting information from reliable sources. Echo chambers can also shield us from opinion challenging information. And I don't know about you, but I don't like my decisions or my opinions to be challenged. And I try to be a pretty inclusive leader and a pretty collaborative leader, but it's still kind of a little bit of an ego thing. And then echo chambers also encourage, um, sometimes are allow us to adopt extreme viewpoints. And so, you know, I'd say it's pretty extreme, extremely weird to believe that the earth is flat, but there's also um, a lot of research about, um, you know, white supremacy groups and hate, uh, hate groups and other um, kinds of um, problematic um, groups out there that will um, commit hate crimes or commit other kinds of crimes. And um, again, they're in an echo chamber, they become radicalized and it's their sources of information and then the echo chamber that they're in, they're reinforcing each other's beliefs and they become more and more extreme. So we don't want any of that. Of course we don't. Well, why could an echo chamber be problematic at our school? Well, I'm going to, 
I mentioned that edushare.edu blog post. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes at the private school leader, uh, com slash episode 62. And, uh, this next couple of points are from a, a, a blog, uh, post in Forbes. And it says that an echo, echo chamber prevents us from having diversity of perspectives and accurate information. So, that sounds like something that we would want in our school is a diversity of perspectives. Um, and sometimes, and another thing that's problematic about it is, is that sometimes leaders make decisions based solely on their own past experience and the repetition of their ideas by those within their echo chamber without considering alternative solutions. And I just want to tell you, that was me for a long time at my first school. Okay. Um, I had, for a long time, it was just me as the head of school and some office staff. And then eventually I had a head of lower school and a dean of students and um, a couple of people in institutional advancement. But honestly, it was like for many years, um, you know, this quote here really resonates with me because I was just making decisions based on my experience and the repetition of ideas, just kind of doing the same thing over and over again. And then if you don't have outside alternative solutions, then you just figure you're doing just fine. And so that can stagnate our schools, cause our schools to stagnate. Um, and then think about the impact of these ill-informed decisions that occur inside these echo chambers that discourages creativity and innovation and risk-taking and leads to missed opportunities and can ultimately cripple the organization's ability to adapt and compete. That's right from Forbes magazine. I mean, that's some, that's some heavy stuff when we think about our mission and our vision and our enrollment and our retention and our ability to keep teachers and that we want to grow our schools. I want you to just think about, I'm going to read this quote again, and I want you to just think about it in, as it relates to our schools and if we're just doing things the same way. The impact of these ill-informed decisions discourages creativity, innovation, and risk-taking, leading to missed opportunities and ultimately crippling the organization's ability to adapt and compete. The one thing that we know that is constant in our schools is change. We learned that with COVID, and now we're dealing with AI, and then there's something else that's around the corner, and we have to adapt, and we have to be nimble, we have to be agile, we have to be creative, we have to be innovative, or we're going to be left behind, and the competitive advantage that we have in our community, in our city, that we're going to lose that, and then we're going to lose kids. And then um, I, I mentioned before, you know, that at its worst, then it gets into, you know, extremist groups with misinformation and, um, you know, with, with no point of reference to question their point of view. So those are the reasons why it can be problematic. And so then um, the last thing I want to do before I get into the 11 ways to get out of our echo chambers at our schools is I just want to take a quick look at four reasons why these may exist in our private schools. All right. Reason number one, affinity bias. So we've heard of affinity groups. Um, you know, I used to be in an affinity group of other um, middle school heads um, in uh, the state that I live in. Um, and we'd get together, um, you know, sometimes and um, 
for lunch or get on Zoom or what have you. And so affinity means, you know, having things in common. And so affinity bias is the tendency to favor and hire people who share similar interests, backgrounds, experiences with us. And so there's a lot of research around affinity bias. And when we're interviewing people, there is an unconscious bias for us to like a candidate better if they have more in common with us, with myself. Okay. And that can be beliefs. It can be race. It can be gender identity. It can be all kinds of stuff. And that's why they call it bias. All right. And we're trying to identify it and overcome that. But here's my point is that if we surround ourselves with a leadership team or with teachers who rise up to be lead teachers, if you have a smaller school, if we surround ourselves with people that are just like us, then we don't have that diversity of thought and that affinity bias can help lead to that echo chamber. And so because of affinity bias, we tend to feel more comfortable around people who are like us. And so we tend to unconsciously reject people who act or look differently from us. And again, biases are unconscious and we're trying to identify them, name them, and then overcome them. And then we're less likely to make decisions based on those biases. Okay. So um, again, one of the reasons that that exists in our school is affinity bias. And you might say, well, hold on a second. You know, maybe your school is in um, a rural area and, um, you know, you have a lot of people in your school that look a lot alike, you know, and, and there's not a whole lot of diversity in, in age, you know, the ages are similar and the, the belief system is similar, especially if it's a religious school that it's going to be from that denomination or from that, uh, people who align with that mission, vision, statement of faith of that school. All of that makes a ton of sense, of course. And I'm not saying that we should go out and specifically like look for people that are, you know, super different and super not aligned with who we are. All I'm saying is, is that we have to look and notice and then make sure that we're not allowing the, uh, the makeup of our team. I'm not saying we need to change our team. I'm just saying we need to make sure that we don't allow the makeup of our team to keep us in an echo chamber. And that's what we're going to talk about in a few minutes is I'm going to give you some strategies. So the first reason why is affinity bias. And then the second reason is fear of giving honest feedback to the leader. All right. So and then that kind of goes along with number three. I'll, I'll take them both together. Cultural norms towards positional authority. And so fear of giving honest feedback to the leader. It's like, you know, unless you have really, really, really good relationships and a lot of trust that goes both ways with your team, with your teachers, with other people in the organization, there's going to, I don't want to, sometimes fear is too strong of a word, but just if you're not getting honest feedback about the decisions that you make as a, as the leader, especially if you're ahead of school, um, that's not, that's not good. Um, it's, it's going to lead to repeating those decisions and um, it's going to potentially, as I said before, cause your school to um, stagnate. And then the other thing that I mentioned is cultural norms toward positional authority. And so, 
you know, you get pulled over by a police officer or you're in a courtroom and the judge, you know, is, uh, is speaking or, you know, there's, there's, there's people in our um, culture that have positional authority or a level of expertise and therefore there's a level of respect towards that person and then there's a level of kind of conceding to that person even if we disagree with them and so my point is and then there's some gender stuff sometimes that goes along with it too as far as like if the leader is male and if the uh, person that has wants to do a counterpoint or play devil's advocate is female or vice versa you know there's a lot there's age you know there's a lot of different things that come into uh, play with these things and so but specifically um, fear of giving honest feedback to the leader cultural norms towards positional authority and then reason number four is confirmation bias um, and so confirmation bias exists where there is no diversity of viewpoints, and that's dangerous. Um, when everybody is just always on the same page and no one ever sees anything differently, um, of course we want, um, to, we want people to agree with us because we think that we're right. And so, therefore, we, um, you know, we, we sometimes get stuck um, in that echo chamber because of confirmation bias. So all of that leads to, you know, we talked about what it is, why it's a problem, um, why it exists in our school, and all of that leads us to now we're going to get tactical and talk about the 11 ways to get out of your echo chamber. Okay, strategy number one, constantly ask for feedback and ideas. All right, so we're not going to get feedback unless we ask for it. And we're probably not going to get feedback unless we ask for it often. So we need to seek it. We need to, um, you know, it's it's hard because our, our leadership team, our teachers, they're probably not going to give us that feedback very often on their own. There might be a couple of outliers who will always tell us how they're feeling and what they're thinking. And honestly, if, if they're outliers, we tend to tune them out, don't we? Right? And so I think that there need to be ways to um, capture that feedback and maybe it's an anonymous um, survey once a year but um, whatever the case might be um, you know just we're going to get to some other strategies about like how we behave in meetings and communication skills and things of that nature that are going to all help work together to get us that honest feedback but they won't bring it, they, they being the, our team, our teachers, they won't bring it often on their own. And then we also, when they do bring it and in a meeting or, or somehow in a conversation, even if it's one-on-one -on -one and you get some feedback that you're not really excited about, we just need to acknowledge that and actually thank them when we get a dissenting uh, opinion. Um, and it needs to be sincere because if we react with our body language and with negativity towards that feedback that is kind of going against what we said or what our idea was, then um, we're discouraging that feedback from continuing. Okay, so that's strategy number one is constantly ask for feedback. Now, um, st strategy number two, prioritize psychological safety. All right, so what I'm getting at here is um, that we as private school leaders, we need to have a predictable mood. Um, we should be careful about the words that we say in meetings. Um, our body language 
says volumes without us saying a word. Um, um, maybe not saying things like, well, that won't work or, um, well, no, you know, the, what are the first words out of our mouth after somebody gives an, uh, a suggestion or an idea? Are we thinking? Are we listening? Are we saying, well, however, or we're saying, but, or we're saying, well, that won't work. And here's why. Um, I just think that we want to prioritize psychological safety. That's strategy number two. And one way to do that is strategy number three, which is establish meeting norms. So I wonder if you have norms for your meetings. Um, we have norms for our senior admin meetings, and our head of school um, reads them not every single time, but fairly often just to remind us all of those norms. And then when our instructional coaches are having a PD or having a big meeting of teachers, there are meeting norms for uh, those meetings as well. And they will typically um, have those on a poster and also read those norms um, to remind everybody. And so what are some of those norms that might work for you? Well, respectful communication and no interrupting, um, to judge favorably, to engage with curiosity, to use I statements. Um, we, we have an acronym, wait, why am I talking or why aren't I talking? Um, you know, to just really be intentional and really be thinking about like what you're saying, how you're saying it, what you're communicating non-verbally you know, some establishing some meeting norms, because if you don't, and it's a free for all, and everyone's talking ever, over everybody, and, and the loudest voice and the most persistent person is the one who always gets to talk the most and gets the last word, whether that's you or not, that's not a great way to create psychological safety in a meeting and to um, have honest opinions shared. And that's what we're striving to do is to get out of that just everyone nodding and agreeing and going along with stuff because now they were, we're firmly stuck in our echo chamber. All right, strategy number four, uh, model curiosity and listening. Um, your team will follow your lead. And so if, if you shut everything down and you are not using active listening, body language, or skills, and you're listening with the intent to respond and then you're answering things immediately, that's what they're going to do too. And then you're sending all kinds of messages about how you really feel about the feedback, especially if it doesn't align with what you're um, saying, promoting, thinking, or the idea or ideas or decisions that you've made in the past. So strategy number four is to model curiosity and listening. All right. Strategy number five, and I have to give a lot of credit to my head of school because she's the one who taught me this to be yes and instead of yes but all right i'm going to say that again to have a, a mindset kind of a round table mindset a round table discussion um where what you the 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 just the the kind of the go-to um way that you respond to something is yes and instead of saying yes but and it seems like a small thing, but it's felt in a big way. And it's been about 12 years now that I've been in meetings where we're saying yes and, and we're using I statements, and it feels a lot differently 
than some of the meetings that I had prior to that. I'll just say that. Okay. So, um, again, to embrace kind of a round table discussion mindset where you and your team members say yes, and instead of yes, but, um, and, and it, it sounds small, but it's disproportionately felt, I think in an inclusive and productive way. At least that's been my experience. Okay. On to strategy six, speak last. When I was reading a blog uh, post um, that was talking about echo chambers, and it gave a suggestion about speaking last, um, something really jumped out at me, and it says, you already know what you know. So think about that for a minute. You already know what you know. You, you, you have an opinion. You have a, a preferred decision on this. You have preferred input. So why lead with that? Because lots of social norms come into play if you speak first and then go around the table. So let's say, for example, there's an issue with, um, I don't know, um, this doesn't really matter, just some issue at school, and you're going to discuss it at a meeting. Um, whoever is in this meeting, whether it's a board meeting, whether it's you and a few members of the leadership team or some lead teachers, or maybe it's a um, you and your middle school staff, okay? Um, and there's an issue, all right? Well, if you go first and you say, well, I think we should do blah, 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 blah. Well, now there's all kinds of social norms that come into play about like going against you or if someone actually really feels differently than that. But if you speak last, it gives them the courage, the space, the air in the room to be able to maybe give those alternative opinions. Um, and then you can hear all of that. Like I said, you already know what you know. And it's a really good idea to speak last. And just a reminder, I said this once before on a different episode, that Nelson Mandela was once asked, what makes you a great leader? And he said, everything I need, everything I know about leadership, I learned by watching my father. And Nelson Mandela's father was a tribal leader. And he would go, Nelson Mandela would go and sit and watch these tribal council meetings and he said, I learned two things. He said, they always sat in a circle and my father was always the last to speak. And so those were his two big leadership lessons. And we can learn a lot from that in the way that we run our meetings in general and how we invite collaboration and differing viewpoints in particular. All right. Strategy number seven, intentionally invite different perspectives. And so what I mean by that is, is like, depending on the issue, Maybe you have the head of maintenance come for part of a meeting, or you have a lower school teacher come for part of a meeting, or a couple of students, or someone from the kitchen staff. And I, I keep saying for part of the meeting, I don't mean they're going to have an equal place at the table, but they could have input, and, and let's say that it's something about the, the playground, okay? Um, some issue with the playground repair, this piece of equipment is, you know causing some problems, the nurse is complaining because kids are always getting hurt on it and what have you. Well, one scenario could be that members of the leadership team and the finance person, they all just kind of get together, talk about it, decide, and then, okay, we're going to buy this piece of equipment and we're going to buy, and nobody talked to the maintenance director, nobody talked to the PE teacher, um, maybe nobody even talked to the nurse, you know, 
Um, it was just, well, this looks nice in a catalog and this is, you know, we can afford this. So I, you get my idea. I, hopefully you get my point is, is that we need to intentionally invite those different perspectives to come to the table when the Venn diagram overlaps as far as the content of the, the topic, the, 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 the dilemma, the problem, whatever it might be, to, to get that input and to encourage that input. And also, by the way, let that person speak first. Okay, um, just a couple more. So number eight is hire for addition and not multiplication. And I'll explain what I mean. Hire for addition, not multiplication. And this is something right from the educause.edu blog post. And um, what it was talking about is how if we surround ourselves with people with similar backgrounds, similar age range, similar life experiences, similar race, religion, ethnicity, work experience, so on and so forth, then if we keep hiring people like that, then we're kind of hiring for addition. We're adding to the team, but if we consider when we're interviewing candidates, um, the importance of having some diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of life experiences. You know, I coach a guy who, um, he had a background in the, in the Peace Corps before he got into teaching. And, um, that was extremely important in kind of formulating, forming like the kind of leader that he was. And I'm thinking of some different people, how their life experiences, um, some people, you know, have different careers before, and then they choose to go into education like later in life. Um, and so again, you may be limited in your options based on your location, your geography, but um, just to kind of keep that in mind as a factor to are we continuing to surround ourselves and add to the team with people that have so many similarities to people that are already on the team. So just food for thought. And then just a couple more we'll go through quickly. Number nine, just beware of confirmation bias. Um, we already talked about that, so I won't really dwell on it, but just that, you know, again, we all love people to, I love people to agree with me. You love people to agree with you. Um, and so, again, just we have to make sure that we're not um, that we're not giving in to confirmation bias. Number 10 is get off campus, okay? This was big for me um, two or three different times in my career where I went and visited another school. And what I would try to do if I would go for a school visit for a couple of days would be to find a school that was kind of like in the spot where I wanted our school to be in like four or five years with enrollment and facilities and size of staff and things like that. And then I'd go visit that school and I would hang out with the administrator and I would just kind of soak it all in. So one way is to visit schools. Another way is to go to conferences, join an affinity group. Um, that's easier to do now that Zoom has become much more normalized after um, COVID. But it's like if you just stay on your campus and you only, and, and for that matter, don't really, you know, grow yourself as far as a professional, but if you don't have interactions with people um, that are not physically on your campus, then you're limiting that. You know, again, that, that uh, the idea of an echo chamber, 
that it sounds small and claustrophobic and confining. And so it's like broaden those horizons. And now it's easier than ever to do that because it doesn't all have to be physical travel to these other places. There's tremendous um, value in school visits. There's tremendous value in serving on an accreditation team. Um, there's tremendous value in going to um, state or national um, conferences. Um, and sometimes those things are expensive, and that's why there's um, other um, things that can be done through your um, private school organization, whether it's NAIS or ACSI or the Catholic school organization or whatever, where there's meetups um, through Zoom um, that are either free or very inexpensive. And then that brings us to number 11, and that is check your ego at the door. And I've really had to work hard on this over the years is, is that, you know, I want to be right. I want to be first. I want to have everyone agree with me. And that's all ego and pride. And so I just have to um, be intentional about checking my ego at the door. And so what are the big takeaways for today's episode? Well, an echo chamber is when leaders make decisions based solely on their past experiences and the repetition of their ideas by those within their echo chamber without considering alternative solutions. And here's the big one. I've quoted this twice. I'm going to quote it one last time. Quote, the impact of these ill-informed decisions discourages creativity, innovation, and risk-taking, leading to missed opportunities and ultimately crippling the organization's ability to adapt and compete. That echo chamber is going to cause your school to stop growing and to stop going in the direction of your mission and your vision. And so what are the 11 ways to get out of your echo chamber? Number one, constantly ask for feedback and ideas. Number two, prioritize physical safety. Number three, establish meeting norms. Number four, model curiosity and listening. Number five, say yes and instead of saying yes but. Um, number six, speak last. Number seven, intentionally invite different perspectives. Number eight, hire for addition, not multiplication. And number um, nine, beware of confirmation bias. Number 10, get off campus. And number 11, check your ego at the door. And so I always like to end every episode with a call to action. I would challenge you to choose one strategy and to use it at your next meeting with your admin team or your teachers. Pick one strategy from the list and then use it at your next meeting with your admin team or your teachers and see if it over time invites um, some more collaboration, some more contribution, some more diversity of thought. All right, let's wrap it up. I want to give you another free gift to say thank you for listening to the podcast created a free guide for you called five strategies to help you work with difficult parents. We know that working with parents is part of the job and most of our parents are great, but some of them can be very demanding and emotional and difficult. And this guide will give you the tools you need to build better relationships and have better meetings with the difficult parents at your school. And you can grab that guide at the privateschoolleader.com slash parents. That's again, privateschoolleader.com slash parents. So if you're getting value from this episode or from the podcast in general, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email at mark.o.minkus at gmail.com and let me know uh, what strategy you're using or what pain point you're experiencing right now. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. 
And you can find show notes for today's episode at theprivateschoolleader.com slash episode 62. And a new episode comes out every week, Apple, Spotify, YouTube. I'd love it if you would leave a review and a rating to help that algorithm push out that content to other leaders all around the world. We're in 50 countries and um, we're, we're helping people all over the place that need this uh, content. And I'm on Instagram at the private school leader, Twitter at the PS leader. Please uh, share this with at least one other leader in your life and an aspiring leader at your school. And I've been your host, Mark Minkus. I appreciate you so much, all the amazing work you do for your school. And thank you so much for taking some of your precious time out of your busy week to join me here today. And I'll see you next time right here on the Private School Leader Podcast. And until then, always remember to serve first, lead second, and make a difference.